is the Homestead Journey Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the pursuit of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. This is episode number 111 of the Homestead Journey Podcast. Welcome, 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 everyone. Uh, Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the Homestead Journey. My name is Brian Wells. I am coming to you from 3B Farm and Homestead here in beautiful and snowy upstate New York. That's right, folks. We actually had our first real snow this week here in beautiful upstate New York. And unlike snows in years past, this one has actually stuck around. It stayed rather cold. Um, It's been in the upper 20s, low 30s. And the snow has just stayed on the trees and it has been absolutely beautiful. There's something about that, that covering of snow, that white, that just is absolutely gorgeous. And I'm just very happy to see it. Um, Not everybody shares my enthusiasm, but uh, my son said today, his ski bone is itching. And I would say my snowboarding bone is itching as well. And it won't be long and we will be out on the slopes. In fact, a few of the bigger mountains a little to the north of us actually opened up, I think, Wednesday of this week. So it has started. We haven't been out yet, but soon uh, we will be out on the slopes. And I am looking forward to that. That's one of those things that I really enjoy leaning into. And we'll call it the off season, the homesteading off season. I know not everybody shares that perspective of homesteading uh, with me. Um, And certainly it's not that the homesteading ever really fully goes into off season. Uh, We still have animals to take care of, but the winter time for us does slow down and it does give me that opportunity to lean into other things that I really enjoy. And certainly being out on the snowboard soon is one of them. Now the, the amount of snow that we got here, I think was a couple of inches um, not too far away. Some friends of ours that live less than 10 minutes away. I think they got seven inches of snow. Um, but it does look like it may stay around for a little bit. Uh, it's supposed to be chilly for the next couple of weeks. Although one day it may warm up and we may get a little bit of rain and then the snow may disappear, but we're enjoying it while we have it. And, uh, certainly though, uh, that does make some of the homesteading chores, uh, take a little bit longer. And there certainly were a few things that uh, I was not prepared for because I just never am because I'm a knucklehead like that. So let's just jump right on into this week's Homestead Happenings, and I'll bring you up to speed with what we've been doing here on 3B Farm and Homestead. So before the snow settled in this week, uh, one of the first things that I was able to attempt, we'll call it an attempt, um, is moving Boris's pen. Now on last week's episode, I shared with you how I had moved the uh, younger pigs. I had relocated their pen, basically one slot over, um, used three hog panels off the backside of their pen, and uh, then just moved them over basically one slot, we'll call it. Uh, And my plan was to do the same thing with Boris. I had bought all of the um, hog panels. I had all of the T-posts 
And so Wednesday, I took off from my day job. I just had this long list of things that I was going to do. And the first thing on the list was the pig pen for Boris. My first four posts went in relatively easy. And then I found rock. And folks, for two and a half, maybe close to three hours, I tried finding a place to pound the T post for the one corner, and I could not find it. We live on Bald Mountain, an old limestone quarry, and you get down in some areas more than four or five inches, and you're hitting limestone, you're hitting shale. And folks, my shoulders, I don't think have fully recovered yet. And uh, this is Sunday. There's just something about pound, pound. You would get that thing starting to go and be like, yes, I'm there. And then all of a sudden clank. And when you would hit that, it's like that just reverberated through my entire body. So that was a very disappointing attempt. It, it, It wasted a big part of my day on Wednesday. And very, very frustrating. I wasn't quite sure what to do. I took to Facebook to uh, kind of complain, we'll say, commiserate maybe. (laughs) But a few friends of mine um, had some great ideas. And that was basically Brian works smarter, not harder. One friend of mine suggested that I get a um, hammer drill and uh, some bits where he's at is this kind of the same situation. And he said he drills with a smaller hole and then he upgrades to his, you know, his bit and drills a bigger hole. And uh, so I was thinking about going ahead and just making the plunge, buying a hammer drill and doing this. One, a friend of mine locally said, uh, hey, Brian, I have a rock drill. Would you be interested in using it? And so, of course, I said, yes, please. Uh, now, unfortunately, I have not had the opportunity to get out there and do that. I had a few other things come up. And so next weekend will be my um, attempt at utilizing this rock drill. And we'll get that T-post in there. We probably will never get it back out. But uh, by golly, we're going to get that thing in there uh, because I'm just stubborn like that. (laughs) So we did go ahead and play some pig Jenga uh, this week. or I I call it pig Jenga. It's not really pig Jenga. It's more pig Tetris. I really need to, to use the correct terminology. but started moving pigs around for the winter. So I had moved the young ones over one pen and a one nut Jack, he needed to go. And I can't put him in with the young girls because obviously I don't want, uh, I don't want any, shall we say, fraternization going on. (laughs) So he's by himself now in the original pen. And for housing for him, I am actually using that $50 chicken tractor uh, I think it's off grid with Doug and Stacey. If you look on YouTube, I think for a $50 chicken tractor, uh, you will see their design. And that has just been a real handy design for us. We've used it for chickens. We use it for turkeys. We've used it for uh, ducks. We've used it for um, pigs. We've just used it for a lot of different things. And so right now that is one nut Jack's home uh, for the next few weeks, because either for Christmas or New Year's, One Nut Jack is going to be our dinner. Then once I moved One Nut Jack, then I went ahead and took down the fence between the mom and the grow outs that I have, the ones that are bound for freezer camp, my feeders. And 
they were then able to move into the hoop coop that we use for pig housing now. And I did not do that a moment too soon because then I was able to go down to the summer housing and take the tarp off of it. My summer housing for them is simply a couple of arched cattle panels between some T-posts. There's no stabilization whatsoever. And then I put a tarp over it. And so it does not hold snow load very well. And so once I got them moved, uh, I took the tarp off of that. And it was a couple of days later when we got the first snow. Now that probably would have held up to a couple of inches of snow, but uh, certainly uh, I was very happy to have that out of the way and not have to uh, worry about that any longer. My final move with regards to pig Tetris was getting the sows in with the boars. And so I wanted to put sage and basil, my two original sows in with bear, my original boar. And so my wife and son helped me out with that. Now, sage, she went boom, right down, right through the gate that separates them. And uh, she was happier than a pig in mud. But Basil, on the other hand, she was not interested in going over with her boyfriend. And so probably for 15 or 20 minutes, I chased her around. I tried to use feed. I tried to push her around. Um, And finally, we were able to get her trapped in a corner using another piece of cattle panel. And then I opened up the gate and still she had no interest whatsoever in going over there. She wanted to go through that cattle panel in the worst way. But uh, my wife and my son held firm, wouldn't let her through. And eventually we got her to spin and go through the gate. And folks, she wasn't over there. It wasn't two minutes. And uh, Bear started doing the deed. And so, well, three months, three weeks, and three days. I've got it marked in the calendar. And then probably five minutes after that, uh, he went to uh, work on Sage, and so I marked that now. So we will see, uh, but it appears that we kind of timed this just right, and uh, we'll see whether or not they take. But um, three months, three weeks, three days, and uh, we may have another batch of piglets here. We then moved a bet swine on over with Boris, and that went relatively smoothly, and uh, so. Everybody is where they're supposed to be until the 17th of December when the feeders head on up to the butchers to freezer camp. And that will be my next to last move in pig Jenga, because then once they're moved, I will be bringing the younger ones uh, from their pig paddock down over the hill up to where the bigger girls are, just because that way I don't have to schlep water quite as far during the winter. So we've got everybody just about where they need to be. Uh, The last thing I need to do is move the chickens down to the fixed coop out of the garden. And then I think we will have all of the animals about where they're supposed to be for the winter. And I'll be very happy with that. This Thursday was Thanksgiving here in the United States. And I trust you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, For us, it was a little bit of a different Thanksgiving than what we're used to. Normally, my in-laws come up here and we host uh, Thanksgiving at our house. But uh, this year, due to some sickness and my mother-in-law just being very weak and not able to travel a great distance, um, we performed an audible. And uh, what we did is we actually uh, met up at Cracker Barrel uh, for Thanksgiving dinner. Now, that certainly is not 
high on my list of places that I want to be on Thanksgiving, uh, especially when you raise turkeys and vegetables and all those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, it really wasn't about the food. It was about the fellowship. And so I was very thankful that we had the opportunity to spend time with uh, both my uh, in-laws as well as my mom and dad who rode down with us. Uh, I'm very, very blessed in that my mom and dad and my wife's mom and dad uh, get along. They're great friends. And uh, Bonnie gets along great with my mom and dad, and I get along great with my in-laws. We've never had that animosity that some people talk about. And just very, very thankful for that. I understand that I'm very blessed in that regard. Um, My parents see Bonnie as the daughter they never had. And uh, my in-laws have embraced me like a son from the day one, from, from day one. And uh, so it, it was great just to be able to spend some time with them. My brother-in-law, Al came up, always great to see him. And uh, so it was a great Thanksgiving, non-conventional, certainly not a Hallmark style Thanksgiving, but uh, we were together and we only get so many of those. And so very blessed and thankful Well, it certainly wasn't the Homestead Thanksgiving that I had hoped for. Um, That's secondary. It was awesome just to uh, have that fellowship one with another. And I trust you had a wonderful Thanksgiving as well. A few other things that I did this week. I got the snowblower on the tractor. Well, mostly on the tractor. Uh, I'm having a little bit of trouble getting the PTO shaft uh, connected And of course, I wait till it's cold to do that, like a knucklehead. And so everything's a little stiff. Um, And then, unfortunately, when they used the tractor for the tractor parade, they lost uh, the two pins for my um, adjustable sway bars. I I can't remember what they're called. Um, But anyhow, it's basically what keeps your implement from swinging from side to side. And so I need to go pick up a couple of those at Tractor Supply. I bought some the other day, but they weren't big enough. And so I've got to go the next uh, step up and get those pins in there and uh, then get that PTO shaft all the way connected. And then we'll be ready for a foot of snow, three feet of snow, whatever mother nature throws at us. That tractor just can pitch snow a country mile. Now, last week I mentioned with you that I had started putting away my canning stuff and I finally got all of that put away this week. So canning season for us is over. If the odd thing pops up, I'll haul a canner in some jars up the steps. But uh, right now everything is stored away in the basement and Bonnie does have her kitchen back until May and then it'll happen all over again. The last thing I wanted to share with you, you may remember a couple of weeks ago, we went to Massachusetts and picked up a truck bed for the Ranger, and we finally got that on the truck this week. So I took it to a buddy's house, and I think I shared with you a little bit about this on last week's episode that he had started work on it and then had some issues and had lent me his truck. And so this week, he asked me to come over and help him put the new bed on. And so Brian Jay and I went over and did that. And then we discovered that the wiring harness on the new bed didn't match up with the wiring harness on the truck. And so then we tried to do what we refer to here locally as a bald mountain hookup, or Brian Jay would refer to it as a homestead hack job, or other people might refer to it as Jerry rigging it, um, whatever you want to call it. 
But uh, we did that. And unfortunately, we got a couple of wires backwards. And so the backup lights are on all the time. And the running lights aren't on at all. Well, I guess the backup lights are now the running lights. And the running lights are now the backup lights. I don't know. We've got some wires crossed around in there. And so uh, I'm going to have to, I don't know, figure something out there. Um, I tried finding a harness to uh, put in there to get the right harness in. And unfortunately, they don't make that part any longer. And so I'll probably call around to some junkyards tomorrow, see what I can come up with. But I've got a few plans up my sleeve um, that may not be entirely legal, but um, they'll be functional. And uh, then, well, I can't believe I'm saying this on a podcast. State police, local police uh sheriffs i'm doing my best here okay um so don't don't come hunt me down (laughs) we'll make it safe it will certainly be safe but it may not uh basically i think what i'm gonna end up having is my backup lights aren't gonna be white let's just put it that way uh until i can get this all figured out but uh gotta keep the truck running and uh, i've got some hay i gotta pick up tomorrow and I did a load of feed yesterday, but I did that during the daytime. So it's like the running lights not being on wasn't a big deal, but I got to get that figured out. And uh, so we'll, we'll come up with some further bald mountain hookups on top of bald mountain hookups. It's a little different shade of color. It's like a green versus a gray, um, but it's a farm truck. And uh, so it's got character, right? And that's what it's all about. Like me, it's got character. All right. That's what we've been up to. Busy week here on the homestead. I hope things are well wherever you are at. Before we head on over to this week's charting the course, I did want to remind you that you have a few days left to fill out the survey. If you go ahead on over to thehomesteadjourney.net slash survey, I've been running a survey all month long, and this is an opportunity for you to help me help you. We're trying to kind of chart the course of the Homestead Journey podcast together. And so if you could fill out that survey, I would be greatly appreciative. But also by doing that, you are going to be entered to win fabulous prizes. That's right, folks. Fabulous prizes can be yours if you fill out that survey. So head on over to the homesteadjourney.net slash survey. And I'm actually going to keep this open throughout the full week. So it's actually going to bleed on over into December. And then next week on the podcast live, I will go ahead and draw names for the winners of the fabulous prizes. So fill out the survey between now and Saturday, December 4th, 2021, for your chance to win fabulous prizes. All right, let's head on over to this week's Charting the Course. This week, I ran across an article entitled, Meet the Appalachian Apple Hunter Who Rescued 1,000 Lost varieties. I think it was posted on Baker Creek's uh, Facebook page. I think that's actually where I ran across it. I will link to it in the show notes. I would highly recommend you go read it. It's a very, very 
fascinating article. I really, really enjoyed it. I would highly recommend that you uh, read it for yourself. But it's the story of a retired chemical engineer named Tom Brown, who since 2001 has been searching for and rescuing apple varieties from the Appalachians. Now, he actually stumbled onto this, we'll call it hobby or calling or whatever, um, by visiting a farmer's market in the late 90s, where he found a little stand filled with what he referred to as strange looking apples. The article describes his encounter like this. Colors range from bright green to yellow streaked, sunset pink and purplish black. Some were plum sized, others as big as softballs. They had names like Bitter Buckingham, White Winter John, Arkansas Black, and Billy Spark Sweetening. Tasting trays brought a smorgasbord of flavors and textures. Brown tasted Jonathan's that had rosé wine-colored flesh. Rusty coats were soft like pears and sweet like honey. The mammoth 20-ounce was crisp with a tart, peachy finish. Semi-firm Edder's Gold brought peony bouquets and grape flavors. Grimes Golden were sweet with a hint of nutmeg and white pepper. Brown's enthusiasm led to a conversation with the vendor, late orchidist Maurice Marshall. The varieties of apples he was selling were standardized in those 1700s and 1800s and had vanished from commercial circulation by 1950. Marshall had obtained most of the cyan wood from them from elderly mountain homesteaders. But two or three varieties came from clippings taken during apple hunting expeditions at the ruins of old orchards. What's more, hundreds of lost apples could likely be reclaimed at similar sites throughout Appalachia. That part stayed with me, says Brown. I kept thinking, how neat would it be to find an apple nobody's tasted in 50 or 100 years? Then it struck him. Had so many interesting, great tasting fruits really just disappeared? It seemed impossible. Brown threw himself into researching the history of Appalachia's heritage apples. What he learned was awe-inspiring and devastating. Commercial orchards in the U.S. grew about 14,000 unique apple varieties in 1905, and most of them could be found in Appalachia, says William Kerrigan, author of Johnny Appleseed and the American Orchard, and a professor of American history at Muskingum University. And then skipping on later into the article, by the late 1990s, U.S. commercial orchards grew fewer than 100 apple varieties, and just 11 of them accounted for 90% of grocery store sales. Experts estimated 11,000 heirloom varieties had gone extinct. And then the rest of the article details how Tom turned this knowledge into a mission to save as many apple varieties as possible. Again, fascinating article. I would recommend that you read the entire thing. Now, I'm not sure if Tom identified as a homesteader before he stumbled across heritage apples, and I'm not sure if he identifies as a homesteader today. But what I do know is that according to this article, his source of many of the varieties he has rescued has been homesteaders. And it reminded me once again of the important role I believe we as homesteaders play in the broader food movement. Whether it is apples or animals or vegetables or skills, 
we have an important role to play in ensuring that things don't get lost. Now, I had read this article earlier in the week, and then on Thursday, as uh, we were riding with my mom and dad down to meet my in-laws for Thanksgiving, my mom brought up the fact that in the latest edition of Mother Earth News, there was an article on the American guinea hog, which happened to be an excerpt from Kathy Payne's book. You may remember that I had Kathy Payne on the podcast a number of times. And my mom said this to me, well, Brian, now that you've helped to save the American guinea hog, what's next? What else are you going to help save? Now, certainly my role in helping save the American guinea hog has been a small one. I certainly don't want to overstate my role. It's been a very small one. But it did make me feel a little bit proud that I have had the opportunity and the privilege to help do just that. I also got to thinking about Jason Smith over at Coghill Farm and how he has been growing a type of okra that he doesn't even know what it is, but it's something that has been passed down to him from his granddaddy. Melissa K. Norris talks on her podcast about a variety of bean that her family has been growing for five generations and has been passing them on. Maybe both of them are growing varieties that are commercially available, or maybe they are stewarding a special variety that without their family would have been lost forever. Maybe they aren't saving a thousand varieties of okra or beans like Tom Brown has saved apples. But if all of us focus on saving one thing, maybe it's a variety of chicken or a breed of pig or a type of vegetable, we will all ensure that the genetic diversity that might be necessary in the future isn't lost forever. Now, I'm still not sure what the next thing is that I'm going to get involved in saving. Right now, I'm pretty happy with helping save the American guinea hog. I've shared with you that as I add livestock to our homestead, I look to the Livestock Conservancy to see what breeds are in need of help. And when I look at seed catalogs, I am always drawn first to heirloom seeds and their story. Maybe I don't have a multi-generational seed like Jason Smith or Melissa K. Norris, but maybe, just maybe this year, I'll choose one. And my grandson or granddaughter will say, this seed was passed on to me by my granddaddy. It's not a thousand apple varieties, but it's something. And it's a step in the right direction that I think many of us can take. That's it for this week's episode, folks. I hope that you found it helpful. Again, I will post a link to the entire article in the show notes, definitely check it out. And we'll catch you on the next one. Goodbye. Brian can be reached by emailing him at brian at thehomesteadjourney.net or by contacting him via our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support this podcast, we invite you to become a member of the Supporting Listeners Program. For $10 a month or $100 per year, you will receive access to a community of like-minded individuals via a private Facebook group, at least one monthly live Q&A with Brian, 
the opportunity to participate in live recordings of the podcast, access to an ever-expanding library of helpful homesteading content, and so much more. Head on over to support.thehomesteadjourney.net for more information and to sign up today. As always, the music on this episode was provided by audionautics.com. So a big shout out to them. And until next time, everybody, keep up the good work.